Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's NASDAQ Dorsey Wright podcast. Uh, my name is Will Gibson, and I have Steve Raymond joining us this week. And Steve is joining us for a particular reason. We're going to be talking about some of the models on our system and some of the changes that we've seen there. Just a just a high level, if you're not familiar with these, we have, we have some tactical strategies on our research platform. And ones that we're going to be talking about today in specific are our FSM, or Fund Score Method, models. These models are ETF and mutual fund-based. And put high level, we're assigning a fund score to a set of funds, ETFs and mutual funds within a universe, and then we're selecting the highest scoring funds, whether on a monthly or a seasonal quarterly basis, which we'll unpack a bit more today. So Steve and I are going to try to outline some of the themes that we've seen in these quantitatively fund score-esque type of models. So things that we're seeing trending into leadership and the way the models are latching onto that. We'll start with some equity comments, and then we'll conclude with fixed income and probably uh, dabble a bit in between about other things that we've been hearing questions about and some some typical guidance that we see for these heading forward. So, Steve, maybe just some just some general thoughts here about starting with the equity side, some themes, some broad themes that we've seen in the models to to start this year from your perspective. Uh, yeah, Will, thank you for having me on. You know, as you as you as you move through the months and the quarters, and quite frankly, the years, uh, you know, there are many uh, model updates because that's what Dorsey Wright does is work with models for years and years, uh, among other technical data for decades. And, uh, you know, you, you do run across time frames where everything's quiet uh, and things kind of meander along uh, and we ride leadership. In other words, we ride the momentum wave. Momentum tends to have long waves of trending and, uh, and, and the fund score models, the fund score method really taps into that aspect. And we use different families and we use different providers uh, of, of, of vehicle, uh, and, you know, so that we can use the best inventories available uh, and then pick that leadership. But then there are other times where the market goes through some pretty, pretty aggressive transitions. And in those times, uh, you know, you have uh, some, some uh, moving around in the scores, moving around the relative strength, and quite frankly, moving around in the market, which causes some disruption in the inventory uh, that, that is being held or being worked with. And I think that, you know, in 2022, as we crossed from 2021 to 2022, we definitely had more, more uh, another round of disruption in uh, the, the flavor of, of where the scores and where the market trends were, were moving to. So to answer your question, Will, I, I think that, you know, we've seen a, a couple paradigms uh, in equity. One is, is uh, 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 somewhat of a temporal failure in small cap. Uh, so small cap exiting a lot of the models over the last few quarters. Um, you know, maybe a more than temporary, but we'll just say temporary uh, failure in non-U.S., which led to more uh, non-U.S. vehicles or globally influenced vehicles to move out of the models. And then, of course, uh, a recent flavor would be on the value growth paradigm, where uh, the growth uh, uh, relative strength, uh, seen through scores, seen through charts, however you want to see it, 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 it a very real uh, nuance here, have peeled back south. Uh, and gave up some of uh, some of the strength, and so uh, at the same counterpoint time, 
value did not peel back. Value edged up a little bit, but certainly gave more oomph to the value vehicles. And so what we see across our models, and it wouldn't matter if it's ETF-based or, or conservative, active-managed mutual fund-based or aggressive, active-managed mutual fund-based, we see similar um, themes bleed into all the models, which is uh, moving more from the right side of the market, meaning the growth side of the market, to the middle and left, meaning to the core and to the, and to the value side of the market. That seems to have happened through all these models, and certainly so in the last six months, and certainly so in the last in the last month, um, this this paradigm shift means that we're, we're we're owning more weighting in the value and core camp, and and much less weighting in the growth camp, and, and in some cases significantly less in the growth camp. So uh, that means that the models are more, you know, I think the uh, core centric or or value oriented. Uh, they're in general relative risk dropped, meaning we're, we're moving into more of the low volatility value composite, if you will, across the models. Um, and, and then, you know, certain sectors have changed. So I think I think that's a big transition. What, what we need to realize is when uh, and not only endorse the right, but let, let's just say other types of investors, when you ride a long trend of, of something in leadership and that trend changes or or feigns or pretends to change, that's a big shift because that means a lot of the holdings that you're holding, you've got to move out of the way uh, because they're lagging and then move into leadership, which might be the new thing. And that's what we're dealing with this time. So we've had 50% turnover across most models, in some cases, maybe more than that. Um, and, and that means that, you know, we're riding this, this transition into the more of a core and value mix of assets uh, and certainly larger cap, meaning uh, uh, the, the, the idea of small caps leading and, and so forth is not, we're not there yet. We're nowhere near that. And, and lastly, when possible, many of these equity related models that have commodity exposure access the commodities and commodity-based sectors uh, where, where applicable, you know, have moved in uh, to the top to the top scores. So again, another transition. Uh, whereas commodity-related assets, really, you haven't seen any any of those in uh, general asset allocation FSM models in in many years. Um, so that, that might put us back to you know 2010, 11, and 12, and then they kind of disappeared for a decade. So. You know, some of those nuances are coming back. And I think that just like always, as you move through the years and the decades, you have to be ready for uh, new trends if, if as they unfold, even though you don't expect them to unfold that way. Uh, but that, that's why we do what we do. Um, you know, there, there is no long-term prognostication. FSM models really read the current data and then go with the current data set. So, uh, and I think that's what we're experiencing on this recent update in February, which really is the uh, the beginning uh, seasonal quarter or or monthly you know model in the uh, you know in the year 2022. So kind of a tone changer, you could say is um, is this uh, is this update. Uh, but will back to you. Yeah, Steve, that's 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 great perspective, I think, and you definitely hit some of the biggest themes that I saw as well in those equity-dominant models, a, a shift of the T, if you will, towards the blend, towards the value side. That's undeniable. 
I would say, across the strategies, same with the preference to large cap. If you have access to commodities, like you said, within the inventory, that was another very prominent theme as well. And then that preference for your domestic equities over international. All of those, I think, are are key takeaways from the equity models as we head into the rest of the year. And Steve, you also alluded to some of the intense changes of direction or rotations out of styles last year for a decade. As we talked about, we've been entrenched per se, a pretty strong word to use, but helps get the point across that we've been entrenched in a, a style of market leadership. Now, that, that seems to be changing right now. We've we've seen this try to change previous times and inevitably stalled out, but this time, as we said, might be different for a variety of reasons. These models, I would say, perhaps think so. But more specifically, I'll, I'll kind of toss it back to you on this and that. These models, we mentioned the seasonal quarter update. And seasonal quarter is going to be February, May, August, and November. So that's not your conventional calendar quarter. So there's models update four times a year. And last year, as a as a general observation, I would say is that these seasonal models really lagged some of the monthly counterparts. So monthly models would update potentially 12 times a year and then are up for evaluation 12 times a year at the end of each month. And then the seasonal models um, seasonal quarterly models would be up four times a year. So the less frequently that you looked at the models last year, we typically saw those struggle, as you saw, very quick changes of preference and leadership, whereas those monthly models were able to pick up on that. But that is not the long-term historical trend, Steve. So maybe any thoughts there from your perspective, I think, could be helpful as well. Yeah, um, you know that's a that's a that's a big uh, uh, that's a big uh, barrel to open. Um, let's start this way. Uh, you know, a seasonal uh, frequency uh, helps uh, the models tap into the the, the long term bias of the market, which does have seasonal demarcations uh, in, in it in it in its behavior. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a great way to tap into uh, market trends without a lot of uh, a frequency. And high frequency is usually, uh, especially with mutual funds, high frequency moving around is sometimes not possible, although with ETFs, it certainly is possible. But with the investor or, or, or registered investment advisors, um, you know, point of view, high turnover, um, you know, is not necessarily attractive. So you can think of seasonal as a, as a very efficient way to capture market trends. Now, the byproduct or the counterpoint could be, well, what if we what if we bite on the wrong micro trend uh, and then we have to hold it for a full quarter versus a full month? Well, that could set you, you know, that could set you back. That has happened historically, all through different points in, in history. But on balance, uh, the, the seasonal quarterly models, you know, tend to, you know, tend to outperform other frequencies simply by holding on, you know, to leadership. And then, like you, like we mentioned, you know, we're going to run into some some problems once in a while. And I think last year was a good year, and, and this year is still not out of the question. In fact, the same paradigm affects both years, uh, or could affect both years. It definitely affected 2021. Which is this, which is uh, the models see an increase in a trend somewhere, in this case, value, and bite on it. Uh, and then the value uh, dissipates um, and, and goes back to a growth counterpart. So that's a, you might call it a head fake, but, you know, that, that's a, a real trend that appeared and then disappeared and the models will follow that. 
Now, another way to think of it is we do have monthly models where applicable. Uh, we don't have a lot of monthly models with mutual fund companies that, you know, don't allow for, you know, fat or, you know, really highly discouraged fast frequency trading. But a monthly model uh, is there on the website. And the reason they're there is, is to give the users, you know, and the brokers and ourselves the choice to understand if the market's in transition, uh, we have a we have a monthly version as well as a seasonal version to use our wits to, to kind of keep on top of those stories. Um, and so uh, I would say the monthly models are there for a reason and the seasonal models are there for a reason. And, and you know, you, you know, take strong encouragement that, you know, they're there so you can use both. But keep in mind that there are advantages of, of each uh, in their own right. And so seasonal models, uh, I think, capture long term trends very well uh, and will continue to do so. Monthly models are more accurate with inside a frequency. But uh, quite frankly, they can be misled uh, also. Uh, so there's there's pros and cons, but I think having both of them is the real, real solution. And I, we have advisors that use seasonal for, let's say, a bulk of money and then monthly models as satellites around there to make sure that they're, you know, on some uh, more shorter term trends that might occur. So I think they're both valuable. Um but yeah, once uh, once a trend appears or disappears, you know, you, you know, you've got to step in and grab the wheel and say, hey, uh, you know, maybe we make need to make another adjustment. Another another story behind seasonal, uh, you know, might go this way. Four times a year, you, you know, as the advisor, you move in and you make adjustments according to the model. That could mean, and I've said this for some, quite some years, is, you know, that could leave you with one or two other spots during the year where you might you might need to jump in and, and, and do something different if you feel it's better, but you don't have to. Uh, so, you know, those are some leeways of how to take both kinds of models and, and, and blend them together. Uh, keep in mind that, uh, that, you know, our long-term experience with seasonal is, is, uh, is that they, uh, they outperform longer term, uh, you know, to a, a better magnitude. And then, you know, the, the statement to make for monthly models is, is they definitely are, you know, more accurate each month, but are easier to take head fakes. In 2021, I think that the transition markets, um, you know, really, you know, really stung, you know, a lot of people in some cases, in some models. Um, you know, in 2022, well, you know, we hope not. But I think that's as the advisor, you, you realize you're working with, uh, I think, a great system. And then you, you play it, you know, you play it month by month. Now, keep in mind also that seasonal models do check for market offense and defense monthly. They, do, they just don't recapitulate the inventory monthly, but they do check offense and defense. So, uh, again, there is a, a frequency of both seasonal and monthly, which go hand in hand together. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that that's a good arsenal for, you know, investment advisors to use, you know, certainly in 2022. Uh, Will, back to you. Yeah, I I think that's a that's a great way to to think about it. I know I personally was talking to people last year and some of these models that we're talking about, the intra-period, they would call it business risk of having to wait to the next quarter or to wait to the next quarter to make some of these changes. And like you and I have observed and specifically yourself, you have seen that 
performance favor, that seasonal model that keeps you in some of those trends a bit longer and is less sensitive, if you will, to those month over month changes. So I, I think there, there, there's something there for, for both people that need to manage some of that interim business risk, but also keep in mind that we're, we're investors here. We are looking for longer term trends to latch onto. And hopefully 2022, we can get more of a trend to latch onto. I think 2021, something else we, we should mention is that these these score-based models are are trend following in nature. So when there's very when there's a very choppy trend or lack of one for that matter, at least on the sectors and size and style front, it's it's going to be tough for these to go out and find out performance. So hopefully 2022 with the recent adjustments these these models have made, we can latch on to this trend and see this continue as we head out for the rest of the year. That'd be a, a great story for momentum models or a, any trend-following strategy for that reason. So uh, maybe, Steve, just a last few thoughts here before we hop on to maybe some of the, the fixed income themes that we saw. On the equity side, were there any models that you wanted to hit on in particular or changes that we wanted to talk about, performance, recap, anything of that sort? Well, I might make a couple points. Um, uh, the uh, the American funds model, uh, which is highly followed, uh, did move into a, a quasi value and uh, equity income type of, of uh, mix uh, with a little bit of growth with AMCAP. Uh, I just think it's a very interesting mix. It's very low ball when you uh, netted out uh, over five positions. Um, you know, keep in mind that that you know if the market heats up and and we need to increase volatility, you know, keep in mind that 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 current configuration is a little bit low vol. So keep that in mind. You know, as we move out here to May, um, the core, uh, you know, the core U.S. core solution, uh, no change. You know, there, how you like that? You know, no change, sticking on track with you know, an equal weight and a growth perspective and, and, and doing rather well in that. Um, and then a first trust self-direct equity model, which has a lot of uh, high R risk options in it. And, it, you know, it mapped uh, to the market, to the current flavors that we're seeing as we cross to 2022. So a lot of energy and natural gas and banking and commodities rising dividend, almost like a who's who of what we're actually seeing as we crossed into 2022. So, you know, some models are able to hit a more accurate uh, sector stratification. Others are not able to, uh, by, by on purpose, not able to, to keep it more diversified. But I think there's a lot of stories to tell within the equity camps. Um, you know, keep in mind that, that I think that one of the, uh, I'd like to stay, state that the core of the market's doing very well. What is the core of the market? Well, it's kind of an equal-weighted uh, smidgen of large-cap pillars of companies in the globe that happen to be, you know, U.S. dominant, um, with a blend of value, core, and growth, kind of as a, a fishbowl. Now that uh, that index, if you will, or that 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 concept, if you will, is doing very well. It's 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 the real action of play, the real paradigm that we would want to keep an eye on uh, as we move towards May is is this value growth paradigm. That that's the one that really is going to make a difference between your experience, uh, the, the advisor's experience, the model's experience. The the value growth paradigm is going to have a big impact 
uh, on uh, on what's going on. And let's just say from here to May. So uh, those are the things to keep in mind that we want to continue to check on the models. Um, it, quite frankly, there there has been a value shift in the models. So you know you want to keep on top of that trend for you know any any improvement in that trend. Uh, or any erosion of that trend. The reason I mention it that way is that historically, you know, going back uh, 20 years, let's say go back uh, 30, the the uh, super dominant trends have very high readings in, in some indicators regarding relative strength. I mean, very high. Not talking about score here, talking about underneath, uh, you know, participation, how many funds in a particular group um, have very strong readings against the market. It is the case uh, in 2022 right now that that uh, value is running around, let's say, you know, 32% of the value options have great relative strength, let's say a third. And, uh, you know, much less than 20% of growth options have great relative strength. So you're really talking about a narrow market here. Um, you know, the, the idea that no, none of those groups, the two I just mentioned, have 70% or 80% of their members with dominant relative strength. So I think that we're in a market where you have a value bias, but it's not, it's not over dominant. So, uh, you know, like, Will, like you mentioned, you know, we have to keep an eye on these trends as they transition. Um, we're not out of the woods yet on either side. Uh, we have a value uh, preeminence but not dominance. Um, and we have growth peeling back and we'll see, you know, if it could reignite. But right now I think you, you've got a horse race here. Um, and although horse races are fun to watch, no one likes to be in one. <laughs> so 2022 is a little bit of, uh, you know, keeping your eye on the ball, uh, staying nervous. I think nervous is good. You know, staying, uh, staying on top of the data as we see this thing through. But that kind of gives you, you know, kind of a game plan of saying you've got the models, you've got the frequency, um, you know, some of the top line commentary. And then really we want to make it to May uh, and then uh, and then see where we stand. Will, back to you. Yeah, that's great, Steve. It's, it's going to be an interesting year, certainly for the models, for the market as a whole especially with, uh, with the talk around interest rates lately, perhaps a lot of that trickling over into some of those equity model decisions. Just a few parting comments here, maybe about some of the fixed income models, and then we'll we'll wrap up here, given that I think a bulk of our conversation re re revolved around the equities for uh, spillover from fixed income per se. But on the fixed income side, I would say the only real trend that we saw from the fund score models would be that preference for, for floating rates. We saw that move into a number of the fixed income strategies or anything uh, not long duration sensitive or long duration ask from, from what we saw. So Steve, just your, your last thoughts on any fixed income changes that we saw, any particular models that the, you wanted to mention is, is a fair game. Well, I mean, the, 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 uh, the, the models are behaving in context with the bigger market fabric. And, you know, Franklin, for example, is a, a renowned uh, classic fixed income shop. Um, and, and just like you said, Will, the floating rate is number one in the model. 
uh, has the most likely uh, success rate based on what we think we see um, and, and the right thing to do uh, based on what we know about the interest rate environment rising. So, uh, you know, and PIMCO has similar, similar things, but in both those models, or, or let's say in any model that you, you run, keep in mind that some of these choices in the fixed income models are actually also have dip into uh, what I might call equity income and high yield, which are phantom, uh, you know, equity groups uh, in a fixed income model, if you will. So like the Franklin Income Fund is a hybrid. Uh, it also ranks at number twos in the model and can do very well in, uh, you know, heavy dividend, high yield, uh, uh, doing well in, in those types of, of markets. And so I think that's you know, PIMCO uh, has an all-asset rotation or all-asset uh, authority um, fund, which, which again, similar similar concept where income is really what we're going after, whether it's from uh, classic or purebred fixed income tranches or not, is 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 a secondary comment. So, you know, it, and that might be what the advisor has to contend with as we go forward. That you have to. Uh, you know, come up with uh, what are the best options in my income universe? Floating rates uh, would be one. There are other choices that could could come to light, like convertible or high yield. But certainly, uh, anything working with uh, dividends or gaining income um, is what is what we're seeing, and what we and quite frankly, what we may continue to see. Uh, you know, going forward. Now, uh, you know, one other idea would be is that I I, I recall many market transitions over over the years. And what I've noticed is that providers like mutual fund companies, or in this case, uh, or in other cases, ETF providers, that they that the, the, the smart people up there, they find a way to invent products that work in new paradigms. So when one says, well, interest rates will probably go up, uh, for the foreseeable future, that could be true, but I wouldn't equate that with there'll be no product that can work in that environment. I think the products will come. Right now, uh, you know, as we're dealing with uh, the, this uh, current transition in the uh, in the bond market after thirty or you know some forty years, um, you know, I think that like will the, the the floating rate, the equity income, the hybrid income, high yield income, convertible, those kinds of mixes can you know, uh, where applicable, where the score shows, uh, th those can provide a way, a way out of this. Uh, and then we keep going on down the road, you know, so that's, that's how this works. Um, you know, when a, when a major group, uh, a macro asset class faces challenges, we go with what we have, we go with what we know. And then, as I mentioned, as a secondary point is, is that providers may indeed invent product that work in, uh, uh, situations or uh, eras that you you didn't even realize uh, those products would be invented. So I'm throwing that out there as a uh, you know as something to you know consider. Um, and uh, you know the Franklin model is doing well this year. It's positive for the year. Um, and uh, the you know the uh, you know so these are things you do. You have to work with what you have. Um, and I think that you know kind of gives a flavor of the update. Um, and, and, and again, I don't want to discount uh, emerging market incomes or bonds or, or these things. Um, but quite frankly, you know, we, we haven't really seen 
relative strength there in order to, you know, make any, any comment about, you know, we hope for that, you know, but, uh, um, but anything's possible, including that interest rates actually don't rise, you know, keep in mind that it reminds me of an old story that I actually lived through. Um, in 2000, early 2000s, um, inverse bond funds first became uh, built, meaning they first offered. Again, coming back to this story I just said where you know, people invent product that might match um, you know, new paradigms. Um, well, that was 20-some years ago, or let's say 20, uh, you know, 21 years ago. And upon invention, uh, it also coincided with the idea back then. Because the idea back then was interest rates will definitely rise forever from then. Um, and that was a 20-year mistake uh, if people bought into that, which they did. So the, 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 the idea would be is that, uh, uh, you know, there, there are new paradigms. Um, you know, some, uh, some smart people uh, forecasted that interest rates should start to rise in, in the early 2000s. They did not. Uh, next, they picked on 2012 and beyond, uh, and and were not gratified there. I remember a big push, uh, even by some major market technicians and and people in the know. At 2015, would be the rising rate market beginning. Um, it didn't happen. So here we are. This one. I just want to point this out. So yeah, we're we're confident that rates are rising, and we're we're hearing the stories that everyone else hears, but also keep in mind that, uh, you know, the story's not, uh, the end of the story's not here yet. So you got to play, you know, what we see, when we see it, and and if things change, we change. Um, so take that as encouragement, um, you know, as you're, as you're working with your own uh, relative strength research or, or certainly with our models. Um, Will, back to you. That's great, Steve. Yeah, and Kind of dovetailing off that point, I guess, beware of the crowd. Um, just be aware of maybe know the other side of the trade better than the side that you're on sometimes can be a very helpful thing, at Good least. Point. Yeah. So anyways, I think that's that's what we really wanted to hit on today. Hopefully that, get, that gives everyone a flavor of some of the fun score models. So those quantitatively trend following ETF and mutual fund models that we have on our research platform gives you an idea of how those are positioned after that first main seasonal quarter of the new year. Looking forward to see how that develops later on. So Steve, maybe hopefully you can come on and chat about these later in the year and see if what what, what they're biting on right now is going to stick and to be a theme for the rest of the year. So for those that don't know what these fund score models are, but you made it through the podcast to this point, if you're listening on YouTube, we do have our research platform linked in the comments. You can find about more about them there, or you can always reach out to us by phone or email. Phone is 804-320-8511 or our email dwa at dorseywright.com. I want to remind you that's that's not a black box. We will reply to you personally through that email. So any questions about we talked about were accessible via those mediums. And I'll go ahead and uh, conclude here. So Steve, thanks again. Thank you all for listening. And we'll look forward to talking to you next week.